the Get Stuff Done cast cast. I'm Dave. The mayor of New York City, a city whose influence on culture cannot be overstated, has a podcast. The only person listening to it is a dog walker in Queens named Dave. If you're new, I'd recommend listening to the first episode of this podcast. You don't need to listen to the mayor's podcast at all. It's very bad. That's why I'm listening to it for you. And then, if you like that, listening to the rest of the series in order. Of course, that suggestion should be weighed against the fact that I'm doing this weird thing at all, so do whatever feels right for you. Today, I'm talking about the seventh episode of Mayor Eric Adams' podcast, the Get Stuff Done cast, titled S1E07 Trash Talk, Composting, Rats, and Other Garbage Items with Sanitation Commissioner Jessica Tisch, released April 19th, 2023. Also, apologies if you hear uh, my radiator. Uh, It is heat season in New York, and my apartment is uh, warm, but also loud. Uh, And there's uh, just just not a lot I can do about it. I'm sorry. The mayor jumps right in, introducing his guest, Jessica Tisch, the sanitation commissioner, who is always coming up with new innovative ways to do things, despite, in the mayor's telling, everyone constantly saying... What's she going to do about garbage? Which is true. It's all me and my friends and associates talk about. The mayor says he first encountered Tish in the police department when she transformed the department's relationship to technology. The mayor doesn't really expand on this, but Tish was the deputy commissioner for information technology at the NYPD starting in 2014. This is a civilian role, but I assume it had a lot of say in the ways in which the NYPD uses tech, including the ways in which the NYPD monitors the civilian population of New York City. Tish was appointed the 41st Commissioner of DSNY on April 18, 2022. I noticed that that was quite a bit of time after Adams took the job of mayor on January 1, 2022, And that seemed odd, because sanitation is a really important city service. So I checked Wikipedia's list of commissioners. Now, like I said, she's the 41st. Edward Grayson was the 40th, serving as acting commissioner from September 18th, 2020, to December 31st, 2020. Acting, I assume, because his boss, Catherine Garcia, was one of the many people running for the job that Eric Adams ultimately got. He was then promoted from acting to full commissioner, which he held from December 30th, 2020, to April 14th, 2022. Adams uh, took over as mayor, as I said, on January 1st, 2022. Grayson retired on April 14th, 2022. This doesn't appear to have been a surprise, or like he was forced out or under a cloud of scandal or anything. Tish was made commissioner on April 18th. Who was commissioner in the four days between the two? Wikipedia has an entry in the chart for that span of time, and a question mark is the only thing it shows. I I don't mean to overread this. It's probably just a scheduling issue. April 15th was a Friday. They got it done first thing Monday. Everything's hard to coordinate in the COVID era. The trash still got picked up. I just thought it was kind of funny that for four days, a city that processes the amount of garbage that New York City produces... 
seems to have had no one running the department responsible. One other note, none of what I've been talking about for like the last three minutes comes up at all in the interview. I looked it up as well as looking up Tish, Tish's biographical sketch, etc. This is one of the first times the mayor doesn't ask someone to tell their inspiring story, possibly because her father, the CEO of Lowe's, went to Cornell and Wharton, and he holds the political beliefs that you'd expect from someone who does that. And she went to Harvard for undergrad, MBA, and JD, graduating in 2008 and immediately going to work for the NYPD. It's not that any of that makes her bad. It makes her a little suspect, in my opinion, but I'm someone who makes a podcast like this one. But it does make her life story, for lack of a nicer way to put this, kind of dull. The mayor asks Tish why she wanted the job, and she wants to provide necessary services to the city, which is nice. I certainly have no argument with her that DSNY is one of the most vital services the city provides. One of the ways it was clear how bad the acute phase of the initial COVID wave wave was, and how bad the first round of Omicron was, were the heroic efforts DSNY made to keep doing trash pickup. And the rare times in both phases where, due to the sheer number of sick people in every department, including theirs, they just couldn't come. I also agree with her that NYC has not really upgraded or improved trash collection, certainly not in the 22-plus years I've lived here. For those of you who don't reside in New York City, you may be shocked when you visit to just see piles of bagged trash out on the street in front of otherwise very attractive buildings on trash pickup day. It's Looney Tunes. Everyone hates that this is how it's done, except, of course, for rats. The mayor, a man who's been repeatedly fined for rats in his brownstone, asks his DSNY commissioner to tell us how she's handling NYC's rat problem. Now, I will say that the mayor does genuinely seem to hate rats and want to rid the city of them. The first anti-rat measure Tish mentions is changing the amount of time trash stays on the streets. Every day we put out 23 million tons of trash on our curbs that stays out for 14 to 16 hours until sanitation comes the next morning. They've changed this by mandating that, instead of being allowed to put out trash as early as 4 p.m., the earliest it can go out is at 8 p.m. Yeah, so the thing here, and I'm not an expert, but this just seems like common sense. Rats are nocturnal. If you see a rat in New York City while the sun is out, you know, you know you're seeing a true monster that has achieved the psychotic lack of fear one can only earn through extreme acts of horror. Do not approach a daytime rat. The vast majority of rats, though, are eating trash when there aren't a lot of people on the streets, which is overnight. Now, one thing they've done that may move the needle somewhat is expanding collection hours, so the midnight shift is now picking up 30% of this trash in the city, which seems good. The mayor says that Tish is looking at, quote, a real cosmic shift with containers, which, if they actually start containerizing trash, I'll forgive his weird implication that putting trash inside of hard-to-get-inside-of-things is somehow a mind-blowing act that rends the very fabric of space-time. But I will take a moment to be a little depressed here. The trash containerization plan has gone through a pilot and is now moving forward, and the goal is to have business trash containerized completely starting in March of next year, and by this time next fall, they want to have 95% of residential trash containerized as well. This is good. It will improve the city, and I'm happy it's happening, but come the fuck on. This is the greatest city in the world. These changes, if they happen, will put NYC where Barcelona was 
a decade ago. Never mind Helsinki. The bar has, throughout my lifetime, been so thoroughly buried that we're spiking the football because we're not going to have to regularly pick our way through exploded bags of diaper juice all over the sidewalk in one of the most expensive places to live in the world. This country used to make things. Mostly racist things, it's true. I don't even know. It's not like anywhere is good or any government is good, but we deserve better things. Improvement is improvement, but don't act like meeting a basic goal of civilized existence is a win. That's if it even happens. There's all kinds of lawsuits to come, I'm sure. So anyway, there's like five minutes of back padding between the mayor and the head of DSNY that they discovered metal boxes. There's some talk of dog crap and litter, and the commissioner wants New Yorkers to tell each other not to litter when they see each other littering, a thing I will not be doing. Come on, have you met New Yorkers? I don't need that. Also, given what they're about to talk about, you'd think they wouldn't need me. Because she says they're going after illegal dumpers hard, and no they aren't. Tish says that when she was at NYPD, she deployed the citywide camera program, an interesting way of saying dystopian panopticon that has yet to stop a single crime, and that they're using those cameras to catch dumpers, which again, no, they aren't. They just aren't. People dump because it's easier than throwing trash away, and the reason it's easier to drive your contractor garbage to like a quiet warehouse area of Flatbush or put it next to an already overflowing sidewalk garbage can next to a housing project is that there's not a lot of places to legally get rid of this shit. There's a lot of focus on catching the bad actors, and in more or less failing to do so, the mayor and his head of sanitation happily tell us that they've made life worse for everyone by making sure there's a monitored camera ready to catch you picking your wedgie or sobbing quietly about how everything feels difficult and upsetting when you think no one's looking. But A, cameras don't stop dumpers. They move some small percentage of dumpers after dumpers get a fine for dumping they already did, and B... Giving pl people places to put trash would simply solve a lot of the issue here. I live in New York City, and I'm not sure how things are elsewhere, but it would be really hard to overstate how much surveillance of the population living here has increased over the last 20 years. There are cameras everywhere. Clearly, cameras don't stop crime. If they did, the sheer volume of them would tell the tale. The other day, I watched as two guys on the street who were clearly furious at each other wordlessly filmed one another as one loaded his truck and the other watched him, clearly planning to report him for some sort of truck-filling infraction. I guess the truck filler was filming because he wanted his own record. I don't really have a takeaway, it just struck me as like, only recently possible and not really making anyone feel great. But I think it's worth talking a bit about how extensive the surveillance is in New York City. Wikipedia has a long and comprehensive list of the NYPD's powers and technologies, and they're just one of the group that monitors the people of New York. A few of the tools in their kit... The Domain Awareness System, or DAS, is literally the largest digital surveillance system in the world. It uses 18,000 closed-circuit TV cameras. A bunch of cameras placed around the city also function as license plate readers. There's a machine learning algorithm in the mix called Patternizer, which uh, has the number of Z's and lack of uh, vowels you'd expect. 
It's there to connect potential suspects to unsolved crimes. The murder clearance rate for the NYPD dropped from 71% in 2019 to 56 in 2021. Slight rebound to 64% in 22, but still 36% of the murders committed in New York City go unsolved, no matter how many Zs get tossed at the problem. Post-2001, the department established the Demographics Unit. You can probably guess what they did and exactly how many leads their unit tasked with monitoring American Muslim life yielded, but in case you're someone who believes that 24 is a documentary, it was zero. They spied on brown people for a decade because they felt that being brown and being a criminal were comorbid, and they uncovered zero leads. The CIA embedded in the department and nothing useful came of it. For cell phone surveillance, the NYPD employs Stingray phone trackers, which impersonate cell phone towers. They're able to read any and all unencrypted data flowing over them, and presumably that data is just read by the operators without a warrant. The NYPD maintains a gang database, which by February 2019 contained 42,000 names. Guess what percentage of the people in it are white? No matter how low you went, you're probably wrong. It's 1.1%. People are not informed that they're in this database. The criteria for inclusion are extremely vague and include wearing any of the following colors. Black, gold, yellow, red, purple, green, blue, white, brown, khaki, gray, orange, or lime green. Which is apparently distinct from regular green. Being in this database is often a determining factor in the severity of charges a defendant can face. Speaking of faces, the facial recognition system has a de- has had a dedicated unit since 2011 that uses a database that includes mugshots, juvenile arrest records, and pistol permits. They have a fleet of x-ray vans allegedly capable of displaying the contents of vehicles that they pass by. Also, they're apparently bathing people in x-rays, which seems not great. They have a database of the genetic information of roughly 80,000 individuals, about half of which were never convicted of a crime. They have a fleet of drones and helicopters outfitted with high-resolution cameras, thermal, and 3D imaging. The NYPD is not known to use Pegasus, the infamous spyware that was found to be on Jamal Khashoggi's phone after the Saudi government had him murdered, and which can be deployed on a cell phone simply by sending the target a text, one that the target does not need to interact with. While it's impossible to prove a negative, so we'll never know for sure that the NYPD doesn't use this software, what is known is that they've had it demoed for them by the manufacturer. So that's just a little bit of the ways in which the NYPD can look into the phones, lives, backyards, picnics, orgies, eating contests, and so forth of your average law-abiding New Yorkers with what amounts to no oversight. And it's weird that we wound up here when we were talking about the sanitation department. But do keep in mind, Tish was the Deputy Commissioner Information Technology for the NYPD from 2014 to 2019. These are programs she maintained, grew, tweaked, and in some cases helped to get off the ground. A fun game to play is one I call, How Badly Would the ACLU Have Freaked Out About This in 1998? I'm closer to the grave, maybe, than a bunch of folks listening, but if the city had pitched the idea of opening up a network of cameras around the city and then monitoring every individual who appeared on those cameras to catch the relatively rare times that someone dumped garbage by a highway overpass before the turn of the millennium, there would have been a mass mobilization in the streets. 
Now it's just something this weird lady who likes turning on your phone's front-facing camera without you knowing about it pitches in casual conversation with the mayor, and they congratulate themselves on how well it'll work. So it's also worth asking if these technologies work, both in the sense of getting us closer to a society that is just, but also in the sense of actually stopping or catching bad actors. I mentioned in a previous episode Frank James, the man who shot up a subway car in April of 2022. He had bad knees, was wearing a bright green vest, gang colors, was in his 60s, and dropped his credit card at the scene of the shooting. He was filmed on multiple cameras in the subway system itself, and I'm sure his image was captured repeatedly on other cameras in the roughly 30 hours before he was apprehended by the police, during which time he was on foot wandering around the city. He was caught after he called the tip line and tried to turn himself in at a McDonald's, only to move on when the police took too long to respond. Now, that's only one case, but it's also one where the entire police department was mobilized to find this guy. For about two weeks, maybe six months ago, a group of teenagers ran around a small, confined area of my neighborhood that's about 10 square blocks doing hit-and-run robberies of people on the street. The M.O. was always the same. One kid would approach the victim and ask for directions, and a couple of others would jump out of a car, hit the victim from behind, and take whatever was on him. What appeared to be a gun was displayed sometimes, or they'd claim to have one, but they never fired it. No one was badly injured. It was, but it was scary. I happened to be on the street right after one of these and was like the second person to come up on one of the victims. He had a bump on his head and was badly shaken up, as anybody would be. Someone had already called the cops. It took the cops roughly 20 minutes to arrive. The ambulance got there well beforehand. About five more of these robberies happened, one every couple days before they stopped. And again... These kids were operating out of the same vehicle every time, in a city with license plate readers and cameras everywhere. By the third or fourth time, the local paper had printed a description of the car and the plate's number. Again, the cluster of attacks was in a 10-square-block area. I am not aware that the cases were ever solved or that anyone was ever arrested. Take what you want from all of that. In the episode of Adams's podcast that we're theoretically discussing, our guest says that curbside composting is here, and it's great. I love that they do it. Good, so- good job. Seriously, DSNY, they congratulate themselves. I don't mind a bit. Where was the snow last year, asked the mayor. Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is we don't have to buy road salt this year. We've got plenty. The bad news is, and here you'd be forgiven for thinking that the commissioner was going to raise the issue of climate change and the disturbing new ways it's becoming extremely evident that we live in a warming world, but no, the bad news is they need to find places to store the salt they bought last year in case it ever snows again. Speaking of salt, the state was considering a bill that would have impacted the city's salt purchasing ability, constraining the city, which uh, buys salt from Chile that comes on barges, and uh, forcing the city to only use salt from some other place they don't name, but it would have had to be trucked in. The mayor says this was a good-intentioned bill designed to purchase locally, but it wouldn't have been feasible. 
I can't possibly weigh the merits or demerits of using one salt provider against another, but aside from the trucking, which I'm not sure is an environmental issue and weighed against the cost of barges that have to travel from a South American country located on the Pacific coast to a North American country located on the Atlantic coast, they don't mention any downsides. They just keep hammering how well-intentioned the idea was, which is, in my experience, a tell that someone just doesn't want to do a thing, not that the thing is actually bad. Good intentions sometimes create bad policy, but good intentions generally don't get marshaled to change existing policies that are themselves good-intentioned. This is an interview with a member of his administration, so the mayor isn't going to allow it to end without having her spend a decent amount of time praising him. She's invited to do so and responds gamely, informing the mayor that, quote, you have allowed us to run the highest level of cleanliness service the city has ever seen, end quote, and that just seems Trumpian in the way it's phrased and constructed. That's just not a metric anyone uses to measure anything. She adds that there's, quote, solving a bureaucratic mess around the way in which the city deals with bureaucracy. This apparently has to do with graffiti removal, a subject so, so boring I sort of lost the thread at this point. Mazel tov if you made painting over paint easier, I guess. The mayor asks her about how they're doing on highway beautification, and the levels spike as the listener is treated to the sound of Robert Moses cackling from his grave. Good news, the highways are about to get much cleaner. Ha <laughs> ha, fucking great. The way to beautify the highways, which have been no business being within city limits, is to fucking get rid of every single one of them. Jesus fucking Christ, this is a pedestrian city, and there are highways in it. The mayor mentions that when they were going after encampments in the city, a lot of them were next to highways and underpasses. The mayor says they cleaned up 5,000 encampments, which is somehow not an indictment of the fact that there were 5,000 encampments of people who had nowhere to live, so they were sleeping under highway exit ramps. They've added a second cleanup shift in our parks. How nice. I do want to note that all this stuff costs money, and I've mentioned in the past that the mayor has told every city agency to cut their budgets 15% by April of 2024. This might impact morale at DSNY, but the mayor doesn't raise it when he mentions, and Tish agrees, that everyone working at sanitation is incredibly, almost psychotically happy now that the Adams administration is in charge. Is it possible for them to become too happy? Oh, well, we'll just have to find out. All right, well, that's the episode. So wrapping up here... What was the mayor up to between the release of his previous episode on April 6, 2023, and this one on April 19th? Here's a few quick highlights, by no means comprehensive. To do this, I lean heavily on the reporting of two fantastic New York City outlets, The City and Hellgate, both of which I support financially, and I encourage you to do so as well. Links to their websites are in the show notes. Well, he continued to paint the city as a hellhole, state that migrants are responsible, and that none of this, none of this is actually his fault. It actually isn't his fault, because migrants can't be responsible for a thing that's not true. Anyway, this time the person who is to blame for the city being overrun is apparently Joe Biden, who, in Adams' telling, abandoned the city of New York. Adams talked about rats quite a bit on this episode, and for some reason he failed to mention that a week before it came out, he appointed a rat czar to take control of reducing NYC's rat population. Good luck to 
Kathleen Caridi in that front. A parking garage in the financial district collapsed, killing an employee who worked there. The garage had open violations with the Department of Buildings for having obviously cracked concrete. The FDNY sent one of the city's robot dogs that the mayor is always bragging about to the scene to investigate, and it immediately fell over. Search and rescue is, of course, a reasonable use case for a robot, as is bomb disposal, which is why the NYPD is getting in on the action. They bought a bunch of robots to do none of that. Their robots are going to patrol the subway. And if you can hear the air quotes on patrol, those are there because these weird vibrator-looking things are going to more or less roll around filming everything that happens without anyone's consent, while five human cops protect them from what would obviously happen to a robot that was put in the subway system if it didn't have armed guards around it all the time. NYPD, always expanding the job of policing, now it includes providing security services to robots. If you like this or thought it was interesting and want to hear more, the best way to do so is to hit subscribe on whatever app you're using to hear my voice right now. The best way to let other people know about this podcast is to tell a friend or an enemy about it, but I refuse to believe that liking it does anything. Reviewing it will just take moments of your time. They could be telling a friend or, I don't know, wondering why you feel damp. Transcripts of the show are available at stuffstuffcastcast.wixsite.com slash stufftranscripts. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at stuffstuffcastcast at gmail.com. And I'd like to express my thanks to John Coyne, uh, my friend, who was extremely generous with his time, uh, especially on this episode, but on all episodes so far uh, and to come. Um, John has uh, given me a lot of great feedback, and I cannot tell you how much better he's made this so the good stuff is up to john the bad stuff it's it, you can email me and, and and yell at me about it but if you also want to email me and tell me about good stuff I'll, I'll i'll pass that on to john all right see you next time